Man, it's so good to see you. Last night was uh, really a great blessing. Uh, I know Pastor Stevens already covered that. By the way, if you're a child or you have a child and you're used to getting the bags and you think we don't have them, we do. They're just on the floor in a basket. So if you're a child and you want to come get one, that does not bother me in the least. So you can come do that. But uh, welcome to uh, Calvary this morning and our, all our online friends. And uh, you're standing in front of the camera. <laughs> I just, she was, but I'm sure they, that wasn't bothering anything. How y'all do? I just, y'all seem so quiet. And last night was, was a lot of fun. In fact, the la- a lady asked some questions, and she asked one that I didn't expect. But now that she made me realize it, I just want to share with you so you'll know. Um, because we have new signs. A new sign on the corner, new signs over the entrance. Well, we have signs over the entrance. We used to not have anything written there. And they say, Calvary Baptist dash or slash Stanton. And she said, why did y'all take church off of the name? And my first reaction, because it takes my brain a minute to catch up, sounded smart alecky. I said, because it's obviously a church. (laughs) But my wife was there and she rescued me and said, thank God. Uh, She said, well, it's also how you find us online. Because if you go looking for Calvary Baptist Church, you will get millions of them across the country. Not literally millions, but a lot of them. And there are three different Calvaries in Stanton that aren't, we're one of them, and the other two are not Baptist. So, Calvary Baptist Stanton is how you look us up online, our Facebook, our app, and all of that. So, if you're online and you happen to found us, you probably know that already. But uh, if you want to put, uh, get the app on your phone, uh, that's how you do it. So I, I appreciate my wife saving the day so I didn't sound like a total jerk. And uh, that, was, uh, that was a good thing. We're, we are in the midst of a study right now or uh, looking at the names of Christmas. And uh, hello. Sorry, I have to you Go ahead. Okay. If, you, if you're a child of almost any age and you... And you're a parent, and you want them to go to children's church, you can go. Boy, we, we had all this planned out. I kind of messed it up, I think. But anyway, uh, so children, you can either get a bag, you can go out, you can get a bag and go out. That's up to your parents. But we're glad you're here. So we're, we're in this series on the names of Christmas, uh, and, uh, and it's Christ with parentheses, must. And uh, today we come, and it's in Isaiah 9, 6, and I, I would invite you to uh, at least listen to that uh, chapter and verse uh, you can turn there, obviously, if you'd like to. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Today I'm going to cover two of those, Mighty God and Everlasting Father. Next week we'll cover Prince of Peace, and then the week after uh, is a surprise sermon. So uh, y'all come uh, next three weeks and tune in, and uh, you, you'll get to hear that. But, uh, you know, in, in, in any kind of relationship, there is, there is a beginning, and hopefully it's not an end. I mean, some of them end, but there's always this beginning. And, and sometimes, uh, in, like in a romantic uh, relationship, uh, a girl notices a guy, a guy notices a girl, and they kind of just make themselves obvious, or at least in the old days. I don't know how they do it now. I'm older. Uh, now they may just walk up and go, hey, I like you. I don't know. But uh, back in my day, you kind of tried to be subtle and just kind of make sure you were seen and you were there and all. And, uh, and, and, that, and you kind of began to talk. Somebody had to break the ice and say something. 
uh, in a friendship, you just are around somebody and you realize you have things in common. You start talking and a friendship can blossom. And, and, but there are other relationships that, that are, are a little bit different. And, and one is, if you were to meet royalty, uh, you would almost, almost certainly have to be invited into their presence. You can't just walk up and go, hey, king, how you doing? And uh, so there's that. And so there are people that seek that kind of audience. And then there's a relationship that is a relationship of birth where you're related to a mother, a father, a grandfather, grandmother, aunts, uncles, cousins, brothers and sisters. And then you may have that romantic meeting, meet your wife or your husband, have children. And do you ever come to a point where you look at your child and go, now, I know you're nine years old and you've been wondering, but yes, I'm your father. No, you, you've been around them for nine years. They know who you are. Uh, and, and so there is just, it's not a revelation. It's like, uh, well, duh, dad. I, you know, we kind of figured that out. Well, God desires to have a relationship with you. And here's the deal that, that maybe you don't understand is that God is the pursuer. God is the one who is seeking you to have that relationship. And, and one of the neatest things to ever ask someone and find out is, how did you come to realize and know Jesus Christ? How did you ever realize that you needed him? How did that happen? Because I, I really, almost every story is different. Even though they have some similarities, there's so many different stories. Somebody might have said something uh, you might have seen something. Pastor Bobby was sharing with me his testimony the other day. And I, di- I didn't know it in that detail. And I was amazed. It's really cool. You ought to ask him about that. Um, I, you know, some people just out of the blue, God does something. Um, I know one famous personality. He had tried a bunch of religions. And, uh, and, and one night in a hotel room, he pulled out a Bible. That was the last thing he would have considered was Christianity. But he said, well, nothing else worked. Let me see what this is about. Realized that Christ was real. And became a Christian and wasn't even part of a church. Uh, didn't even think to do that for a long time. And finally met someone and said, dude, you got to get in church too. And started helping him out. So there, there's, there's so many ways that Christ reveals himself to us and comes to us. And so today I want us to think about what drew you to Christ. Uh, another way I'd like to put it is Christ is the end and beginning of your journey. And so when you meet Christ, it's kind of the end of the search, but it's the beginning of the journey that goes into eternity. And, and all of this is kind of seen in these two words or two phrases we want to look at. And then I'm going to use two examples out of the New Testament of both. One uh, phrase is mighty God. Now, I, personally, just my personality, I really love this title of God, uh, of, of Christ. Because that word mighty, as you can imagine, means powerful, might. We understand that. It can mean a tyrant. Uh, it has that same sense. It's an, it's an absolute power. A champion, the chief, the strongest, the, the biggest. But the word I like most is warrior. God is a warrior. In fact, that is the, the song of Miriam at the, when God drowned the armies of, of Egypt in the Red Sea. Moses' sister sang a song and said, God is a warrior. And, and so many times in, in today's culture, we don't think about that. Because a, a warrior doesn't care how you feel about him. <laughs> a warrior doesn't care if he hurts your feelings. He is there to do a job, and that job is to kill you before he, you kill him in warfare. God is a warrior. And here's the deal. But we call him dad. So he's, 
He was at war with sin and he won that battle in Christ. But he is a mighty God. He is a warrior God. He's a God now that, that, that sin has been dealt with. His fight is for our good for, to help us know him. He fights on our behalf. He, he is there to help us. And of course mighty God. The word God used there in Isaiah just means strength or might or powerfully strong or overwhelmingly strong. In fact, in Deuteronomy uh, 10, 17 uh, is a verse that helps describe uh, uh, this very phrase that that God spoke to uh, Moses, I would assume here. Um, And in 10, 17, it says uh, this, for the Lord your God, this is Moses speaking to the children of Israel, is God of gods. And Lord of Lords, the mighty, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. That is this mighty God. There's no one that can influence him. There's no one who can bribe him or influence him. And I love that he is God of gods. He's Lord of Lords. And why, why would he have to say that? Because there is no God but God, right? We know that. So why would he even say that? He would you would think God would just say, I'm God, and he does say this, and there, aren't, there is no other. But why would he also say, I'm the God of gods? Because, well, a couple of reasons, but one I would emphasize this morning is because we all have different gods. We all make gods out of different things. And no matter what you have made a God in your life, he is still above that. Now, the next phrase that he describes himself with really puts a period on that and I'll get right to it in just a second but I just want you to pause a minute and understand this baby in a manger is not just a baby in a manger he is the overwhelmingly indefeatable undefeated warrior God mighty one strong one the second phrase in Isaiah 9 6 we're going to look at today is everlasting father now this kind of shocked me okay I looked at the word everlasting and I thought it was going to say everlasting (laughs) you know it makes sense right Uh, and and I love things that make horse sense it's just captain obvious right wrong it (laughs) it is so much deeper than just everlasting even though everlasting describes it I can't even pronounce the word and that's not because a hard word pronounces because I can't pronounce it I'm going to spell it for you, P-E-R-E-M-P-T-O-R-Y. I've heard it said, but we usually say preemptory, but it's peremptory. I said it. Ooh, I'm going to stop since I got it out there once. Terminus. What is that saying? You're going, well, those are some big words. Yeah, I mean, elephant's a big word too. That's a big thing. Uh, But it means this. Peremptory means before... The other person can act, right? Terminus means the end of it. Now let that that sink in. Before all things, he existed and was and is the cause of all things that are. He's peremptory. He is the cause of everything. He's also the terminus, the ending of everything. And in his being, he is the peremptory terminus. That means if you thought you came up with a good new idea, (laughs) no. If you think you did something nobody's ever done before, mm, not really. If you think you're going to defeat this or win that, or hold on. Because he is 
the everlasting Father. He is the before and the after. He is the one who causes everything to happen. He's the one who will end. In other words, he is the end of all things before they begin. That's what that phrase means. He is the end of all things before they ever begin. Because the beginning of all things and everything runs according to his plan and his will. The other way I would say this too is, is sometimes when we hear the word everlasting, you and I, because we're finite beings. Uh, a famous person out there said this, it uh, doesn't matter who it was, just want to let you know I didn't think of this, that history begins the year you were born. For each person, we think there was nothing before us because we weren't conscious of things. So we read in history books and sometimes it doesn't even seem real when things we read and think about that happened before we came along. And so in a sense, we as human beings have this feeling. And when we say that God is everlasting, God is eternal, we think that God began at some time or he began when I became aware of him. And yeah, it's, he's going to be there forever. But this phrase, this word lets us know that he was here before anything else was here. Everlasting reaches backwards. And so since we only think of the past or the future when it comes to everlasting, we forget that God stretches into the past for eternity. He is everlasting, meaning peremptory before anything he is. And he's the terminus, he's the end. If any, everything ceased, it'll be because one day he goes, you know, I'm just tired of everything I made and destroy it all so that there's no evidence it ever existed. He could do that. It, the Bible says he's not going to do that, thank God. We have an eternal existence with him to look forward to. Somebody say, amen. amen. So, so he's not going to go, hey, I, I made you, I made you conscious, so you knew you existed, now I'm going to annihilate you. That's not the God we serve. The God we served, he made us knowing we would sin, being the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world, knew that that was the plan because he created the plan, he knew the plan, and he came to that point, he came to the cross, he died for us, that's what Christmas is all about. He didn't come to be a baby in a manger, he came to be a savior. People were joking this morning because we have a manger up here, but there's no baby in it. Somebody said, what happened to baby Jesus, Pastor Andy said he grew up. <laughs> and he went to a cross and he died for your sins and mine. And now he's risen from the dead and he lives forever making intercession for us with the Father. And all those who call on his name shall be saved. All those who seek him will find him. All those who come to him, he won't throw them out. And he, we begin a relationship with him that ends in eternity. And we will always be with him. He's not going to annihilate us, even though he is the end of all things. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. This idea is summed up in this word, everlasting Father. Now, if he was an everlasting tyrant, that would be bad. But he's an everlasting Father. Someone who loves us. I, in my notes, I wrote Father. Just that, father. I looked at the word. Guess what the word father means in Hebrew? Father. That's what it means. He is, he is the one who created us. It's not father like we become fathers. But he is the father of all things. And he loves us. And because he could do it, he did do it. He saved us because we couldn't save ourselves. He could have left us. In despair, but instead, he made himself a man so that he could die in our place. 
Well, I hope you understand those words a little better. Well, how do, how do we apply that? Well, what drew you to Christ? I, since we're talking about the Christmas story, there are two different groups of people that we usually include in the nativity, and that is the wise men and the shepherds. And they both understood Christ in a different way and came to him in a different way. Let's, and this is just kind of brief and broad, but look in Matthew 2 if you'd like to. And we'll look at the wise men or what we call the wise men first. The, the word is magi. The word is actually magician is where we get that word. Uh, but they weren't magicians in the sense that we think these are wise men. They studied things. They, they, they knew uh, a, a lot of, they, they studied science. In their days, astronomy and astrology were kind of mixed. Those got separated later, knowing that the stars do not determine us. But they, but they were studying it so much that they saw a sign in heaven and said, there's been a king born. Now, I don't know. I don't understand that. In fact, most modern scholars will say, well, we don't get it. Okay? So, I'm, I'm not as smart as the guys that write the books that tell us that. So, I certainly can't think of it if they didn't. But they, somehow, they knew that what they saw in that sky was different. And it meant that a king was born. And so, Matthew 2, we read these words. And after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now, notice that. After he was born in Bethlehem. It, Wise men were not there the night Jesus was born. They came within two years. Probably Jesus was over a year old. He was between one and two years when they got there, probably closer to two years old. Um, there's a lot of evidence for that because they were in a house um, and uh, some other things. Uh, when they left, Herod wanted to kill all babies two years old and younger. Sounds like one of the rulers in our state right now. Um, and so these wise men came looking for him. And they knew that, that whatever that was, it meant. So it says, so after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, on the day of Herod, in the days of Herod the king, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he, I can preach a whole sermon on the next two words, who was born king of the Jews. He didn't have to wait for his dad to die. He was born the king. For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And so the wise men knew that sign meant something. They, but notice for whom they are searching. They're not searching for a baby in a manger. They're searching for a king who had been born. They knew this, this guy was king is a king like no other king. Why would they come looking? Oh yeah, a new Jewish king has been born. If, if there were a king in Israel in the days... When Jesus was born, it would have been his dad, Joseph. He was in the direct line of David. That's who would have been the king. And so, as the legal father of Christ in our world systems, Jesus is the heir of David's throne through Joseph. We have two genealogies, one in Matthew and one in Luke. And the other genealogy, it comes through Mary. Mary is also a descendant of David. So, Jesus, by genetics and by legal right, is the king of the Jews. Okay, you following that? But, but I just want you to see these wise men are coming. They're, they're looking for a king. Now, what is true about a king? Well, you heard it a little bit in the, in the terms, the mighty God. He could be a tyrant if he wanted to be. He's all powerful. They come looking because they know he's a king like no other king. He's got his own star that said, hey, he's been born. He was the king at birth and they are looking for the signs where 
When, where is this happening? When's it going to happen? Did y'all know we're going to have an astrological event uh, the 20th or 22nd of this month? That the last time it happened was 1,242. And it's two planets going to be so close together. You can see them with your naked eye right after it gets dark. And it'll look like a, a, the two planets are side by side. It's Saturn and Venus. And you'll be able to see that with your naked eye. What does that mean? I don't know. But these guys would have. <laughs> they would have understood it. That, 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 this, that, that star being where it is, that thing, whatever that heavenly body is or was, meant that the king of the Jews had been born and he is the eternal king. He's the everlasting king. Now, I don't know if they understood that, but they, like I said, they understood this was important. They knew the signs and their response Notice what their response was. We saw the sign of him and we have come to find him. Why? So we might worship him. That's a strong word. Not so we could honor him as king. Not so we could say congratulations, king's been born. Here's some gifts. Hope you think of us when you come to power so we can get an audience in the court and maybe get some, you know, political things done. No, they came to worship him. They understood that this was an event that was not just a normal human event. And down in verses 9 through 12, uh, we go through a lot. Herod asking questions, and they find the Old Testament reference that it would be in Bethlehem. And so after listening to the king in verse 9, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Let me just pause there a second to ask a, a, a question that I, I can only think of this one answer. The wise men saw the star, they're falling, and it disappears. So they go and ask Herod. Why did God could have left whatever that sign was hanging there? He didn't have to stop it. And it wasn't so obvious that everybody saw it. You had to be looking for it, right? So why did he make it disappear? So they had to go ask Herod. Because now Herod is on the alert that his competition has been born. Well, and we know the Bible says to fulfill Old Testament prophecy, but I think God is also just putting Herod on alert. Dude, I'm here, I'm here and you're done. Every king has to bow at the feet of Jesus that ever has been, that is, and ever will be. They're an earthly power. They've got authority for a little while, and some of them may abuse that authority, but then they're going to die. And you know who they're going to stand before? The judge of all things. Even if they're on the Supreme Court, that word is misused. It's the United States Supreme Court. It's the biggest in the land. It ain't the biggest there is. The biggest there is is God himself. And these wise men have come to worship him. I just think it's funny. It's God's kind of like, to me, he's poking Herod going, hey, I'm going to get you. Verse 10, when they saw the star, and now they see it again. God brings it back out. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy in going into the house, not the manger, not the cave. They saw the child with Mary his mother, the child, not the baby. Those are two different words in the language. And, were, and they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And each one of those has meaning about royalty and other things. But being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their country another way. said, God told them, said, don't go back to Herod. He's going to come try to kill this baby. So you go a different way. Now there is 
Herod still tries to kill him, and, and Joseph escapes, but that's not for this morning. And so, these, but these kings come to Christ because they're searching for the king. And they find him, and they came to worship him, and they immediately understood that. There's a second group of people that we've already mentioned, these shepherds. Now, they're just minding their own business. They're just making sure the sheep hadn't gotten hurt, they're eating, everything's good. Uh, and, and so, they're not looking for anything, you know. Look, look with me in Luke chapter 2. Look back there. We, the main verse was Luke 1, that you call his name Jesus. Uh, but in Luke 2, and beginning around verse 8, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. It will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, not singing, saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They immediately became evangelists. And, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen as it had been told them. And so you got these shepherds, they're just hanging out in the field. The, these wise men saw a sign and went looking for God. But these shepherds, this is more like the everlasting father. They just didn't know and suddenly it's revealed to them that this is the father. Now, there comes a point, I'm sure, in all of our lives where we realize that's my dad, but you probably didn't have that as a conscious thought because he was always there. And, and, and for the wise men, it was sort of like they're looking for a sign and they saw it and they went. They knew he was there. But for these shepherds, man, it's boom. It's a revelation. Now, dad has always been there. Fathers just kind of are there. But what does this tell us? Well, these shepherds, or out in the middle of a field. God didn't announce this to, to the royalty. Well, he did a little bit later with the wise men. But what does it tell us? It tells us the lowest of the low is included in salvation. You got these kings, these magicians, these wise men who are honored in their country. I mean, they, I don't know what the right title is or how to describe it, but I know this. They're giving away gold. Now, you don't do that unless you got some means to do that with, right? You, you don't just say, oh, I found a bunch of gold here. They, they, they probably had some left back home, don't you think? And they're, they're giving away expensive gifts, so they got a lot of wealth, and they recognize that this guy's more important than us, and so they come and worship him. These shepherds, all they got is a staff and a cold night, maybe some dried-up kind of food. I don't know what they were eating. And so they're kind of forsaken out there in the middle of the wilderness with a bunch of sheep. And God says, let's go tell them. God reveals himself to them. He lets them know, hey, you've got a father, and I'm him. And, I, and, I, and he's come to earth to, to meet you, to know you. And he's a shepherd himself. 
He's going to be a shepherd. In fact, he's going to be the great shepherd of the sheep. He's going to be the one who takes care of all those who come to him. And so the forsaken are included. Sometimes when you get when when a person comes to Christ, there's a thing that happens, and it's called the gospel lift. And uh, you don't have to remember that phrase because you probably never hear it again. But but we see that in in in, in missiology and church uh, uh, study that when a group of people come to know Christ, all their conditions get better because they are living by a different system now. They're living with a different set of priorities and ideals and, and ways to live. And you always see this lift. And sometimes when you get lifted up, you start thinking you did that. You think you're the important one. When this, the fact is that Christ did that in you and for you. You follow me? And he comes to the forsaken and we should never forget what we call the lowest in society. Remember Hebrews uh, chapter uh, 13? Don't forget to entertain strangers because some of those are angels and you don't know it. God has called us to go to the most forsaken and to tell them, to reveal to them who Christ is. Now, <clears throat> this is the only time I know of in the Bible where the angel is the evangelist. I mean, angels bring messengers to, messages to other people. But this is the only time they go, hey... Salvation's come. It's going to be in this baby. You're going to find him in a manger. This is the Messiah. This is the one that is coming. But notice their response. They hear this big news, and they heard it in a big way. I mean, let's not discount that. And their response is, let's go check that out. If this is true, I mean, in our modern time with modern electronics and everything, there's so many what we call scam artists out there, Right? And uh, if it's too good to be true, guess what? It's too good to be true. It's not true. And so now on our phones and all of that, we get all kind of scam calls and all this kind of stuff. They're going to tell you a whole bunch of mess that's not true, trying to get you to do something that, that, that is not true. These guys have just heard something, and they, was I having a dream or did you see what I saw? <laughs> you know, I'm sure they're having a conversation like that. Did, you saw that too, right? I'm not crazy, right? There was a, like a bunch of angels, like more than you could count up there. And they were telling us that the Savior is born in Bethlehem. Yeah, well, don't you think we ought to go see? Sure. And they, they go check it out. And look what it says when they got there. When, uh, sorry, I turned the page. And so when they, let me turn it back. When they got there, they also worship him. And not only do they worship him, they go tell others about it. So let's go to Bethlehem, see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And when they went with haste, they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they told other people. They started telling other people, we have found our Savior. I think if you really realize the condition you're in when you got saved, you would tell a lot of people about it. I mean, I have an ongoing disease I have to deal with. And it's, it's not immediately a killer, but it'll probably kill me one day, or they'll at least blame it. You know, I know God wrote down the day I was going to die before I was born, so I'm not worried about that part. But, but it, they're going to blame that disease, but I have to deal with it daily to stay healthy. And if somebody walked up and said, 
hey, I used to be just like you, but now I am no longer diabetic. I am totally healed. Really? How did that happen? <laughs> I ain't going to tell you. You don't, you don't deserve it. That'd be cruel. That'd be awful. If the gospel is preserved for only a certain group of people, God's cruel. And when you limit to whom the gospel is presented, you're cruel. There is no one to whom we should not tell the gospel. There is no one beyond the reach of God. And when we would realize how despicable we were in the eyes of God when we came to Christ, we wouldn't look at other people as if they were despicable as well. We know that they need Christ and that apart from him, there is nothing good in them. But that's not a judgment. That's just a reality that was true for us as well. And the response is they couldn't contain it. They meet this baby. They've been told who he is. And they tell the story in such a way. All who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Man, they just start spreading out. Guess what, guys? We're just out there minding the sheep. And we saw an angel. And then when he got finished, there was a, a multitude. There's a, an army of angels up there. And they're all saying the same thing. And we went and checked it out and everything they told us we found out to be true. And this Messiah has been born. I, for me, I wonder what happened to these shepherds. I don't know about you. But as Jesus grew up and they got older. You know, because these are some of the earliest believers. Did, did God make sure that they got taught and understood as Jesus? I, I don't know. I, I'm sure God took care of them. I trust God in that. But the Bible doesn't figure it's important for us to know what happened. But I just got a feeling that these guys never got over that event. They're telling their grandkids, yeah, I remember when Jesus was born. We were just out there feeding the sheep, freezing. Of course, they were walking to school 10 miles each direction in snow, uphill both ways, right? But, but they tell that story over and over and over, and people are wondering at it. If you were lost and now you're found and you tell somebody your story, they're going to go, that's too good to be true. Yeah, it seems that way, but it's not. And it can be true for you as well. Christ came to redeem us and save us from the guttermost to the uttermost. Well, if you are looking for a mighty God or an everlasting Father, you're on a journey. And Christ is that destination. And he's right there for you now. I, I don't know if you're saved or not in this room or online. But I know this. That if you know you have a need in your life, you're wondering what it is. Maybe you're sitting there minding your own business and for whatever reason you're hearing this for the first time. And God has opened your heart and mind to understand that Christ is the answer for your life, for your eternity. Then it's a very simple thing. You acknowledge him as God, as Lord, as Savior. You turn control of your life over to him. And then you obey him the rest of your life. You begin a relationship that will end in eternity because, after all, he's the mighty God, he's the everlasting father. He's the peremptory terminus. And so, if he reveals himself to you, then you should respond to him. And as you respond to Christ, the only response to a mighty king is worship. So, I want to ask you this question. When's the last time you worship Christ as the mighty God? I just, I don't know, some years back, but... I got to thinking around Christmas time how we make a big deal about him being a baby in a manger, but that wasn't the end of the story. 
We kind of get stuck there at Christmas sometimes. We never tell people, no, 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 no. This, this event is miraculous because God put on flesh and was born amongst us. There he is. That's amazing. But why did he come? The birth is a miracle in itself. But don't stop there. The rest of his life is a miracle. His death on the cross is a miracle. His rising from the dead is the biggest miracle ever. Because no man did that. No doctor did that. He did that. No outside force did that. God himself did that. He came out of that rock. He will not die again. He is, he is seated at the heavenly places at the Father's right hand. And he stands there to save you if you'll come to him. And if you have come to him, your only response is to worship. Because you can't see him and not worship. And your response to Christmas and our everlasting Father is one of humility or humbleness. So when was the last time you humbled yourself before the everlasting Father? We think we're in control of things. Probably everybody in this room, most everybody, I'm not sure, this morning got in a car and drove here. And if you didn't come here today in a car, you've been in a car and you've driven it before, more than likely. And you thought you were in control of that car. And in a sense, you were. But that great theologian, country singer told us, Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> right? Because in the reality, we realized very quickly, COVID didn't tell you anything else that should have told you, you ain't in control. God's in control. And he's working all of the universe to bring you to know him. Are you worshiping him? Are you falling at his feet and saying, you are God. I worship you. I am humble before you because you are the everlasting. You are the end before it ever begins. And I just lay myself in your hands. And man, what a good place to be. Knowing that the father cares for us that much. And if any trouble comes, he is the mighty God who can avenge. He is the mighty God who can do something about it. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for your love for us. We thank you that indeed we don't even comprehend that word everlasting. We, we have a sense of it knowing that you will never die, but we cannot conceive that you never were not. That you always are. You always have been. You are the eternal I am. And before there was anything, there was nothing but you. And all matter that exists in this universe that we can't even see to the end of, you created out of nothing. Just to put a planet on the edge of one of those tiny galaxies. And not even really of that big of a planet. And you would put a man there who you knew would sin against you and against your will. And then you voluntarily put on the same flesh as he wore in order to redeem us from our lostness. Mighty God, everlasting Father, thank you for being our warrior. Thank you for winning the battle for us. Thank you for 
cradling us as a father would while he's protecting his infant so that we can trust you. We can lay back in your arms and know that you've dealt with all things. Lord, may we repent of our sin. May we humble ourselves before you. May we worship you as Lord and Savior and God. In Jesus' name.